0: Tony, that song is the perfect segue into my message this morning. I want you to keep the words of that song in your mind as we read this familiar passage from Luke 2 once more, verses 1 through 20. And instead of looking at it the way you expect to read it, try to see in it some things that might be surprising because the message is entitled, It Just Seemed All Wrong it seemed all wrong in how Jesus came into our world. Luke 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be enrolled each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in that region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Don't look at this passage from what you expect to read, but look at it as what might surprise you and how God chose to send his only son to earth. Bow with me. Father, as we open your word and our hearts, let it speak to us about How seldom you do what's expected. And instead, you surprise us like you did with your grace and mercy in sending Jesus as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Who would have expected it? But we thank you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? Most everything? Most of y'all are nodding your head, yes, that's good, that's good. You know, I, I guess the best gifts you give are those that you're really excited about and the person that receives them is excited to get them. Have you ever been excited about giving a gift to somebody and they didn't like it? Or it didn't fit? Or they wanted to take it back? Um, you're going into Walmart the day after Christmas, is always funny to see the customer service line and how long it is with people taking things back. It happens every year in every store, they do a huge amount of business, and then a certain percentage they just expect to be returned after Christmas. That's the way it is. You know, we have our, our wish list and we get most of what we want, so there's few surprises anymore. One of the best surprises I'll never forget, I was nine years old. I think I wrote an Advent devotion about this several years ago. I was nine years old, and my grandfather had a farm, 350 acres up outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And my cousin had a gun, and we'd go hunting, but I didn't have a gun. And so more than anything in the world, I wanted a rifle for Christmas. And I pitched such a fit about wanting that rifle. My father said, Wayne, the way you behaved, you just might as well forget it. Because if Santa saw you right now, you wouldn't be getting a rifle, I could promise you that. Well, much to my surprise, the next morning, I got a rifle. And I've never forgotten, it was a Sears 22 long rifle, bolt-action rifle, and it's still beautiful. If you want to see it, come over to my house sometime, and we'll we'll go target practice or something like that. But I remember that because I knew I didn't deserve it, and yet my father was gracious and Santa and blessed us with it. That was a surprise when I was nine. Well, I think God surprises us at Christmas. And at Christmas, there ought to be some element of surprise still in what happens and what you give and what you receive and what you think about when you read the Christmas story. It is a surprising story. And the problem is that we've just read it so many times, we've gotten so familiar with it, the element of surprise has been taken completely. Away, but when you when you break it down, God's gift to us at Christmas just seems all wrong. And I, just a real cursory outline for you. First of all, it was the wrong kind of gift, or so it seemed. It says in the opening verse, "In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and incidentally, all these kings and, and um, governors are mentioned." so that you can know that there was a certain place, a historical date and time in which Jesus came. The Gospel writers wanted you to know that it it wasn't just, you know, just a a legend, just something made up, but there was a specific date, a specific time, and a specific place that you can go back in the annals of history and, and corroborate that Jesus was born. It says in the days of Caesar Augustus you've got to know a little background in order for that to be surprising. What were the days of Caesar Augustus? Let me back up a little bit. Right before Caesar Augustus was a Caesar named Julius. And you know the story of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar conquered all the known empire in his day, even more than Alexander the Great, who came before, a couple hundred years before him. Julius Caesar conquered all the known empire and it kind of went to his head and he was getting ready to take over the Senate, the Roman Senate. And you know the story about how on the way to the Senate that day, the men pounced upon him and killed him. And he said, you too, Brutus, one of his best friends. And when Julius Caesar was killed, it threw Rome into disarray and anarchy Shortly thereafter, though, another Caesar rose to power named Augustus, and Augustus Caesar consolidated the empire and restored peace, and and all the territories that his predecessor Julius had conquered were brought into the Roman Empire, and Augustus Caesar was declared to be a god. They erected shrines and statues to him in every city, And they put banners over the entrance to every city that Caesar Augustus was their God, and they bowed down and worshiped him. It was the world of Caesar Augustus. And he established peace in the Roman Empire, but there was still no peace in the human heart. And that was when God sent a baby into the world of Caesar Augustus. And they're sitting there thinking, we don't need a God. We've got Caesar Augustus. He's our God. He's sitting on a throne in Rome. We do not need a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. It was just the wrong gift entirely. And they couldn't understand it. And they didn't believe it because the gift was so wrong. But not only was the gift wrong, it was also in the wrong kind of wrapping, the wrong kind of package. If you're going to send, it says she gave birth to a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. If you have Caesar Augustus on the throne in Rome and you're going to send a God to to free and liberate Israel... Is he not going to be bigger and stronger and more powerful than all of Caesar's armies put together? Send us a great Savior who will help us take over the world, who will bowl over our enemies and lead us in conquest, in victory over Rome that has beaten us down and made us slaves and taxes us mercilessly. God, send us send us a kind of Savior who will take care of us and raise us up to glory. And what does God do? He sends a helpless little baby who can't even take care of himself. He needs earthly parents to help raise him. And that's what God always does. He surprises us so often. We want a heavenly Santa Claus to come to us at Christmas and give us everything we want. Everything. We want big and powerful and God sends us small and vulnerable. It just keeps surprising us and it seems all wrong. It seems So surprising. You know the children's sermon that has been told many times about the pastor who's sitting down for the the children's sermon, and he's trying to describe how God takes care of all of his creatures, even the smallest ones. And he says, children, I want you to tell me who I'm, what I'm describing. I'm small and gray and furry, and I have a long, furry tail and and no child raises his hands. And so he continues, well, I, I I get nuts and I bury them. And sometimes I take them up into a nest in the tree and, and I I make chirping sounds and he's getting desperate. And finally a little girl raises her hand and says, preacher, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. That's what's surprising. We know what the answer is supposed to be. We know it's supposed to be Jesus, but it seems so surprising. We've got Augustus Caesar. We want a package of a God that comes in power and greatness and majesty, not a little baby in a manger. And most of all, not only was it the wrong gift and the wrong package, but it was also to the wrong people, all the wrong people. It says there were that day shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds. Well, we have come to assume that shepherds were clean, well-respected, well-mannered folks, because we see them in the nativity scene, we see them in the manger, and they're always, you know, very very quiet in the background and very well-behaved. Friends, that's not how shepherds were perceived. That's not how they were understood to be in Jesus' day. God sends the message of his only begotten son to shepherds. And when the first century Jews heard this story, they were in shock that God would do such a thing. Well, let, me, let me put it to you like this. To whom do you give your Christmas, send Christmas cards to? To whom do you give Christmas presents to? You give them to your friends, don't you? You give them to folks you like, to family members. Sometimes you give them to folks that you don't know as well, hoping you'll get something in return, but whatever. You give it to, you give your cards and you give your gifts to people you know and love and respect. That's just the opposite of what God did. He sent the message of Jesus' birth to shepherds who seemed nice enough, but they weren't. Shepherds were dirty, unclean, unkept. They smelled like their sheep. They didn't go to. They, they were so unclean they couldn't go to worship on the Sabbath, and so they were outcast in Jewish society. And because they herded their sheep across property lines, nobody liked them. They stole. They lied, um, so much so that a shepherd could not even be brought to testify in court in, in Jesus' day because they were assumed that they could not be truthful. And so God sends his angelic choir not to any respectable people, but to shepherds who were the lowest on the, on the rung, lowest rung of society in Jesus day. And nobody could believe it and nobody could understand it because it just seemed that that message was to the wrong people. I mean, they had the peace that Caesar Augustus had made possible, the peace of Rome, but now God comes announcing the peace of Jesus Christ Caesar Augustus had the kind of peace that forced them to lay down their weapons, but the peace of Jesus is being announced as coming to the last and the lost and the least, and it helped them to lay down their sins because that's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of God who loves us and whom we serve. It's a kind of God that doesn't do things in the way you would expect it. If you had a committee and you formed a committee and said, "Let's come up with the most respectable way, the, the most logical, the most sensible way, to bring God's only Son into the world, to be the Messiah, to be the Christ, you would have never come up with anything as wild as this. It just seemed all wrong. Because it was the wrong gift. We have a God in Caesar Augustus. It was in the wrong package. We expect a king on a throne in Jerusalem and you sent a baby in a manger in a stable in Bethlehem. And we expect the announcement to come to those who are upright, religious, good, clean folks. And you send that message to nasty shepherds whom no one respects, whom no one believes or listens to, who cannot be trusted to give an honest uh, testimony in court, and you send the message of Jesus' birth to them out on the hillside. Why does God do all that? Because our God is a God of surprises. Our God is a kind of God who does things in ways that don't make sense, in ways that aren't logical because there's grace involved and there's mercy involved. And those don't make sense and aren't logical either. A hospital had a nursery where all the babies were and this was years ago when the nursery had plaster walls and plaster ceilings and a linoleum floor and so you can imagine the din that happened when one baby started crying. They all started crying, and it was a racket. And so the hospital administrators got together and said, We've got to do something to calm these babies down. And they put speakers in the ceilings and they tried playing soothing music to try to calm the babies, to keep them quiet, because if one baby started crying, they all started crying. You see that when we do parent-child dedication. If we can get away with every child happy, then we've done well, but if one child starts getting upset, then it just kind of multiplies. And this is what happens in the nursery at the hospital. So they tried playing soothing music, and that didn't work so well, but guess what they played that calmed the babies down unlike anything else? They played the sound of a human heartbeat. The sound of a human heartbeat. And that brought calmness over the nursery and over the babies. Because that sound of a heartbeat told those babies that somebody is watching over us, that somebody cares. That somebody's taking care of us and we're gonna be all right. Peace is not just the absence of warfare. Caesar Augustus could do that. Peace is the presence of Jesus. And we hear his heartbeat over us, calming our fears and telling us that there's someone who cares, someone who loves us, and everything's gonna be all right. Tony could not have sung a more appropriate song for us this morning. What a strange way to save the world. Why me, I'm just a simple man of trade, why him? with all the rulers in the world like Augustus Caesar? Why here inside this stable filled with hay? Why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say, but this is such a strange way, such a strange way to save the world. Christmas was the wrong gift and the wrong package to the wrong kind of people. It was such a strange way to save the world, but it was and is and always will be the greatest gift ever given to man. And we live on this side of that gift and we have the opportunity To know him and to love him and to receive him. As he came into the world, humbly, a baby in a manger in a stable in Bethlehem, he comes into our hearts the same way. He doesn't force his way in, he doesn't bowl us over with his authority and power, even though he could, but he comes and knocks. And says, if you will open up your heart, I will come in and dine with you and you with me. And we'll have fellowship together. And God's been entering into human hearts that same way ever since he came to Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Asking, <laughs> pleading that you'll say yes and invite him in. I hope you'll do so this Christmas, if you've never done it before. Let's bow together. Father, as we come to this time of decision and invitation, maybe that's another, another reason you came the way you did 2,000 years ago. Because you always come, not forcing your way in, not kicking the door down not overpowering us with your power and your might, even though you could. But even as a baby in a manger, you come and you knock and you wait patiently and you ask us to open up our hearts and invite you in. And when we do that, you come in and you cleanse and forgive us of our sins. And offer us a new relationship with God made possible through those sins being forgiven. And you give us abundant life here on earth and the promise of eternal life one day in heaven. And so the decision is left up to us. And you wait and wait for us to say, yes, I believe in you. Father, I pray that someone here this morning or watching by television will do that as 2015 rounds out and 2016 gets underway. And it's not just a New Year's resolution that we look forward to, but it's a relationship with God almighty made possible through his son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.